as we look at uh, verses 12 through 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4 this week, what we see here is, is nothing that we haven't seen before, nothing that Peter hasn't hit on before. I don't think there's nothing there that's, that's complicated to understand. It's pretty simple. Pretty, it's pretty clean. It's pretty laid out right there in front of you. I, I, don't think, I don't think understanding it is the issue. I think the issue for most of us is how do we get to the point where we obey it? How do we get to the point where, where we gladly suffer? Where we can suffer as what Peter, again, turn back to 1 Peter 1, verses, verse 6 through 9. You know, how can we, as what John just read and what 1 Peter says, that to expect trials and, and, and to rejoice in the sufferings of Christ and to rejoice in being reviled, to say that we're, we're blessed if we're reviled because of the name of God, that, that to not be ashamed, but to, to glorify God in His name when we, when we suffer and, and to stand before God boldly at, at, in, in judgment, knowing that, that, that Christ was enough and that it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved and and that none are suffer according to the will of God. They're, they entrust their souls in the midst of How do we do that? I, I, there's nothing there that's complicated. There's nothing there that we have never seen before. I think the difficulty is how do we get there? And, and I, I, this week as I was you know, preaching a text that is simple like that, even preaching a text that, that we've seen before, that we're familiar with, and, and, and you say, well, Chris, we've talked about this already. I, I get that. That can present a difficulty, but, but how do we get there? And I was reminded this week of verse Peter 1, 6 through 9, because, and if we're not careful, all of the, we can, in studying these books and breaking them up in chunks, we can forget that Peter is writing and building an argument to stand firm. And he, and, he, and he explains the how. He explains this at the very beginning of the letter in what he says about the readers that Peter is writing to. And listen to what he says in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. The re he says that even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of the faith, your faith the salvation of your souls. How, how do you get to the spot where you have joy inexpressible in suffering? And I think Peter tells us very early on in the letter. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, not in the trial, though there can be joy in trials because you know what they accomplish. Here it is. If you go before that, every, he says verses 3 through 5, this is what they rejoiced in. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Listen, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Where was their joy? Where was their strength to stand firm? It was in a, it was in a God who had promised to protect them. It was in a God who had promised an inheritance that was unfading, undefiled, and would never pass away. Listen, they knew God. They knew His promises. Peter's building on that in what he writes here in verses 12 through 19. To to expect a fire ordeal, not to be surprised by it to joyfully share in the sufferings of Christ, to rejoice in your, in your sufferings and your being reviled. What, what would equip a believer to do that? It's knowing God. And even in Philippians chapter 3, if you want to turn there, I'll, I'll read it. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul writes this, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Here it is, verse 10 again. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship. Fellowship, that word is knowing, it's intimacy of His sufferings. In order that I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. The the emphasis there is not not on what Paul lost, because he lost a lot. The emphasis is on what he gained. And what does he say he gained? Christ. I count all things as loss, Compared to the surpassing value of what? Knowing, knowing Christ. The word there, rubbish, it it literally means manure. Dung. I mean, who thinks about that? Nobody sits around thinking about that. Paul, Paul says, look, all the stuff that I once counted, all the things of this world that were to my credit, I disregard them. Why? Because I want to know Christ. Therefore, I'll suffer with joy. Why? Because I get to know Christ. Intimacy. Get to know Him in a, in a new way. Not just knowing about Him, knowing Him. It was knowing God, and it's the same for us. We, we saw it last week in verse 11. What, whoever speaks, do it as one speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves, do it as one serving by the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everything is about to be about God and His glory, willingly spending our lives on God's glory. 
But, but the bottom underlying statement, the truth, rather, of what, Paul, what Peter builds on and understands, again, he assumes this about the people. He knows this about these readers that he's writing to. Therefore, he can say, don't be surprised. Don't back down. How, how do we have a joy inexpressible in the Lord no matter what we face? The question is, can that be said of us? It should be said of us. If it can't be said of us, then why not? And if not, how do we get to the point where we obey what we see in 1 Peter 12 through 19? Again, I think we all understand what it says. I don't think you need a master's degree from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary to grasp this passage. It's not a hard passage to understand. It's a very hard passage if you're trying to do it in your own strength. It's a very hard passage if you don't truly know an experiential knowledge of God. And that's my hope for today. I, we're going to do it a little differently. We're, we're not going to necessarily go verse by verse and pick this, pick this passage apart. I, I want to help us to, how do we get to the point where we're here and ready to suffer? So that we can say, hey, don't be surprised when it comes. And when it comes, you're going to be ready. Because here's how you can be ready. And you see it on your main point. The willingness to suffer and have joy in suffering is rooted in a believer's desire to know God and in experiencing the joy of being known by God rather than simply satisfied with simply knowing about God. See, Satan is a great deceiver. He's a great counterfeiter. And I believe that one of the greatest deceptions that, that, he, is, that he is unleashing in this world is, is us being, of us being content in knowing about God rather than knowing God. Having a factual knowledge about God and, and foregoing an experiential knowledge of God. James 2.19 says the demons believe there's a God and they tremble. They may be some of the most theologically sound individuals, but they don't know God. There's not an intimacy. And I think one of the great deceptions, one of the great reasons why we're not prepared to suffer and why we don't suffer well and why we bolt so quickly in suffering is because we just know about God and what we've thought about God don't, does not prepare us to suffer for God. It's not knowledge about God. It's knowledge of God. Simply knowing about God, simply having some facts, knowing the stories, knowing the lingo, listen, that will not fuel you to suffer well. It will not. So how do we prepare? How do we be prepared and not be surprised by the fiery ordeal? How do we be prepared so that when it comes, that's not the time to try to figure out when the suffering comes. Listen, that's not the time to try to figure out what we believe about God. It's not the time. Because what's going to happen is you're going to allow your circumstances to interpret what you think about God instead of allowing your knowledge of God to interpret your circumstances.
What, what do you think about when you think about God? Do you have an intimacy and experiential knowledge of God? Listen, we're fine when things are fine. But when persecution comes, are we prepared? Do we truly know this God? Do we know him in such a way that Paul said that whatever we suffer as loss and the suffering, it would be counted as rubbish? Why? Because we know God more now than we did before? See, there's a whole lot of, there's a big difference between reciting a promise of God and having walked through a life circumstances where you saw God fulfill that promise. That's two different, two different things. And, and God, is, God is wanting us to be a people who, who walk through life daily trusting in Him, intimacy with Him, not just simply can spout off a bunch of facts about Him. And, and I think that's the great, I think that's one of the great deceptions that always has been of Satan. If we were to go to, go to back to Matthew 15, uh, this superficial just knowledge of versus an intimacy with. Listen to what, what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. They're, they're just treating truth as if it's just this mere truth. It's just a bunch of stuff that we memorize and really doesn't really doesn't affect our daily lives. Listen to, what, listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 1 with regards to God's people. And this is, this is God speaking here. Isaiah's recording it. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord. This is Isaiah 1.11. Listen to what God says. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Remove the evil deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. The thought that we can come to God however we want, the thought that we can live however we want, and think that just merely knowing about God will suffice, doesn't cut it. I, I thought about this week, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Listen to, what he, listen to what he writes here. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is of the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. You knew of him. You knew what he required of you. And you went through the motions. You really didn't know him. In Malachi 1... Listen, these are talking about the priests. A son honors his father and a servant honors his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my respect? The Lord says, of the host says to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how do we despise your name? You're presenting defiled food upon my altar. 
But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But listen, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is that not evil? When you present the lame and sick, is that not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly? Go down to verse 11. Far from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered in my name, and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations. But you're profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and it's for fruit and food to be despised. You also say, how, my, my, how tiresome. Think about this. My, how tiresome it is. And you disdainly sniff at it, says the Lord. Has obeying God become burdensome? Has it become tiresome? Oh, we got to get them to go to church again. And you bring what is taken by robbery and what is lame or six to bring to the offering. Should I receive that? Cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, vows it but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. You see the deception? That, that God would be satisfied in you just claiming some things and not backing them up with your life? That you'd be okay going through the motions but not really knowing God? You, you see on your hand now two ways. Two ways I think we can fall prey to selling short of truly knowing and experiencing God personally, intimately. You see it there. Intimately, a person can settle for knowing about God and never experience the intimacy of knowing and being known by God. An interest in theology, knowledge about God, that is theology, capacity to think clearly on themes, Christian themes, all that falls short. It fails to recognize there is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Factual knowledge versus experiential knowledge. Facts versus intimacy. Listen, I can tell you all. You, I can tell you all about. Let's let's throw someone out there. Tiger Woods. I love golf. I can tell you all about Tiger Woods. I can tell you he has fourteen majors. I can tell you he has eighty PGA Tour victories. I can tell you all that stuff. Listen, I don't know him. I know of him, but I don't know him. I can tell you all you want to know about the guy. Well, within reason, I don't know him that well, but I'm just, you hear my point. But I don't know him. I don't know him. There's a great danger for all of us in there to settle for knowing the stories, to settle for knowing about God and not daily trust and walk with God. Secondly, a person can settle for secondhand knowledge about God. Not only lacking intimacy, a person can settle for secondhand knowledge about God and never experience the firsthand intimacy of knowing and walking with God. We, we have access to information like never before. We can gain knowledge on any subject that we want like never before. It's at the tip of your fingers. We can know the Bible front and back and never experience God. Never, never understand intimacy with God. Why? Because we're not firsthand digging into the Word. We're not firsthand getting alone with God in the Word. We're reading what other people have labored and studied about the Word. 
daily, daily getting into the Word. Daily spending time. It'd be like somebody spending time with John Cordova every day, having the joy of that, and then they just send me an email to tell me what the day was like. I got a knowledge of John. I can tell you all about John. There's a whole lot of difference if I was the guy that was spending the day with John versus reading the email of what the day was like with John. You see what I'm saying? Secondhand knowledge. Settling for simply knowledge of God rather than walking with God. Trusting Him. And you see it on your handout, what the Bible calls for believers to and what will take believers to the place where they'll willingly suffer for the gospel and the glory of God with inexpressible joy. It's getting beyond simply knowing about God and instead pursuing an intimate relationship with God. It's enjoying not only knowing God, but being known by God. Actually walking day by day in communion and fellowship. Not if someone asks you, you can spout off John 3.16. Do you understand what it's like to live under the umbrella of John 3.16? Not simply saying 1 John 4, that God is love. Do you understand what it's like daily to live under the provision and the umbrella of that love? Not saying that God is able to do all things exceedingly beyond anything we ask or thinking. Do you live every day experiencing living under the umbrella of that promise? Not that it's over there when we need to go get it. Do we live daily under the umbrella of it? Do we enjoy it? Not only knowing God, but being known by God. I mean, think about that. It's one thing for me to say, hey, I know Tiger Woods or whoever it is, or, you know, whatever you're, whatever. He's probably a bad example. All the stuff he's been through is like the pastor talking about Tiger Woods of all people, whatever. But think about it. It's a whole different story for Tiger Woods to say, hey, I know Chris Basham. Think about that. It's one thing for me to say, yeah, I know about God. It's a whole other different story for God to say, no, no, I know Chris Basham. We walk daily. He walks daily with me. He lives under the, 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 the blanket of my goodness every single day. He trusts in that every single day. We have communion every single day. That's how you're prepared to suffer. That's how we're prepared to rejoice. Why? Because the relationship that we've been walking under and with every single day only grows when we suffer. If our goal is to know Christ and suffering allows us to know Christ in a better way, we can rejoice in suffering because it, all it does is usher us into our ultimate goal of knowing Christ. You see the point? But if our goal is to gain the things of this world, if our goal is just to have a superficial knowledge of God, if our goal is to enjoy all the things of the world and suffering prevents that, you know what we're going to be? Bitter and mad and angry. Why? Because because those sufferings didn't usher us into our goal. They prevented us from achieving our goal. Our goal has got to be intimacy with God, knowing God. Not just being able to quote the promises. Have you experienced the promises? And Christianity, listen, you see it on your handout. Real Christianity is experiencing the joy of being known and cared for by God. 
It's the joy of being God's child. Do you, do you grasp that? My fear is for many Christians, they claim God is their father, but they don't live in his house. Meaning they don't live in his presence on a daily basis. God, he wants you to enjoy waking up with him and walking day by day with him and, and, and pillowing your head at night under the, the provision that he provides. Not living every day as if he wasn't even around. Not living as if he's over there. You Look, when I need you, I'll go find you. Otherwise, I got this. That's not biblical Christianity. That's why you see on your handout, the Bible, tell, the Bible tells us that we are to know God in the same manner. And look at the illustrations that the Bible uses to picture this. The way a son knows his father. Think about the intimacy there. Every night when I pill, every night when we put our kids to bed, here's the last thing I tell both my kids. I'm grateful to be your father. I'm glad you're my child. Listen, if we didn't live in intimacy, if we didn't live together, if we weren't together all the time, they would never hear that. Would I be their daddy? Yeah, I'm their dad, but they wouldn't get to hear me say that every night. Same way also a wife knows her husband. Think about that. It's not the fact that, hey, I got married on June 28, 2003. No, no, it's every day I live with Karen Basham. The intimacy of that. Do we go through hard times? Yes, we've gone through hard times. All that does is make our marriage stronger because I know I can trust that lady sitting back there. And I, wouldn't, I didn't know that on June 28, 2003, the way that I know that today. Why? Experiences. Walking with her every day. Seeing every day that she's faithful. When we first got married, I was a jerk about the finances. This is just an illustration. A jerk about them. Why? Because, because I wanted to make sure, look, I, we're working hard. I want to make sure there's money there. I don't know about your spending habits just yet altogether. What, guess what? I don't ask her anymore. You know why? 15 years later? Well, first of all, she gets mad at me when I ask her. It's the real reason. I'm afraid of her. I'm really afraid of her. But secondly, on the surface, I don't ask her anymore because after 15 years, you know what I've learned? To trust her. That she's faithful. That she has our best interests in mind. Listen, I didn't know about that. I didn't know Karen Basham like that when I dated her. I didn't know when her. Did I know of her? I knew of her. I didn't know her like that. I didn't know her loyalty. I didn't know her faithfulness. I didn't know all that. You know how I got to know that? 15 years walking with her every day. There's a lot of people that know about Karen Basham. They don't know her like I know her. How did I get to know her? Walking with her day by day. He goes on to say the way a citizen knows their king... You think about the picture there, the joy of dwelling under the sovereignty of a king. 
Not living in another land and looking back and saying, oh, that's my king. No, no, no. Placing yourself under the sovereignty and the goodness and the rule and the authority of that king. You learn something about that king that you would not have learned if you were fooling around in another, another territory. We're citizens of another kingdom. Philippians 3, verse 20. We get the joy of living under the sovereignty of that king. You learn that by well. You learn that how, rather, by dwelling in the country, by living according to the guidelines and the character of the country, by placing yourself, by voluntarily submitting yourself to the king who is over that country, not by living in that land and living by another set of rules in that land. No, you, you by faith, you submit yourself in that land to the rule of that king. Lastly, a sheep knows its shepherd. That's a picture of yours and my relationship. In, in all four of those analogies, here's what you've got to see. And, and you see it on your handout. In each of these, the one looks to the other for protection and provision, and the one known takes responsibility for the welfare of the one who looks out for them. Do, do, do you enjoy day by day living under the sovereignty of God and understanding that He has taken responsibility for caring for you? Does that cross our mind? In all four relationships, there's a trust. There's a daily communion. It's not living mutually exclusive lives and just claiming, well, I know they're over there. No. It's more than simply knowing about the other. It's a daily relationship. It's, it's the joy of that fact that God, listen, that the fact ought to blow your mind that God has allowed himself to be known by you. Think about that. That God has revealed himself. That he has put that revelation right here for you to know. Fully revealed himself. In the past, Hebrews 1 says, he revealed himself in the prophets and the portions in many ways. And yet today, he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Beyond any of their wildest imaginations. In John 5, he says, you serve the search of scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life. But you know what he says? You've missed the point. In them, what does it say? They're a revelation of me, Jesus says. It's experiencing me. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life. What is that? That you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That you know him and that you'd follow him even if it brings suffering. That's weird. Like most, you know, go to all these other false religions, all these other things. I'll follow you as long as you make things prosperous for me. And yet over here is Christianity where we're to say, God, I'll follow you even if you kill me. Job said it, though you slay me, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Job 1.20, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. 
I mean, you think about this. If you think about somebody right now that the, the, if, if your favorite person, maybe, I don't know, actor, a person in the Bible, if you're really spiritual or whatever, and, and, and they called you and said, hey, Akeen, you got time to meet with me today? And you said, well, as long as it's at this re- re- restaurant at this time, I think I can fit you in for about 10 minutes. Are you kidding me? If that person mattered to you, if you really wanted to meet that person, you'd eat roadkill if it meant hanging out with them. Seriously. You wouldn't, you, you, but, but then we come to God. Why? The relationship supersedes all else. Here's the point. Suffering doesn't matter when we know God and we're getting to know God. It doesn't matter. When being known by God and knowing Him outweighs everything else, the circumstances don't matter. That's what Paul said. Peter says, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal. All it's doing is it's testing your faith. And what did he say in chapter 1? So that the testing of your faith being more precious than gold or silver. The thing that you and I need more than anything is a pure faith. Pure faith. That trusts God simply because he's God. So where did that come from? And as I, as I studied this week and I contemplated it, I, I thought about Romans 15, 4 that we said last week. So the encouragement of the, what was written beforehand is for your encouragement. So that by the encouragement and the hope of the scriptures, again, you would have hope. And I, I love to go back to the Old Testament and, and see these, what these guys and gals went through and their, and their faith and the, the fact that they stood firm. And as I, I, went, I went back to, to Daniel and and uh, one of my favorite books of all, I was, I was reading. And in Daniel 11.32, listen to what it says. Daniel 11.32. Again, trying to answer, how do we get to the point where we will stand firm, where we would have joy inexpressible? Daniel 11.32, listen to what he says. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God... Will display, will display strength and take action. The, the context, the reason why that verse jumped out to me and, and struck me is because the context, context is exactly, the context is exactly what Peter is dealing with. Trouble. There's a ruler rising up, going to rise up, and he's going to bring suffering. Upon God's people. That's the backdrop. In the backdrop of that suffering, Daniel says this. Those who know their God will display strength and take action. Conflict is coming. It's inevitable. Which will you be? And the difference, the difference in the two camps, uh, the difference in standing firm or not, it was what? Whether they knew God or not. Not, not knew about God. Did they truly know God? And so the question becomes now, okay, how do I know? How do I know, Chris? Help me, help me to evaluate my life, maybe. Again, Romans 12 says, Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think to have sound judgment. All throughout the Bible, the Bible says, Do not be deceived, do not be deceived, do not be deceived. How do I know if I may be being deceived, Chris? 
How do I know if I've settled for knowing about God rather than truly knowing God? How do I know if I've settled for yesterday's bread instead of today's bread? How do I know if I'm not leaning on what, God, what I learned about God years ago today? How do I know maybe, worst case scenario of all, that, I, that I've been deceived about my beliefs and I'm really not saved? That'd be the greatest deception of all if I was Satan. How do I know? I want to give you, and again, full disclosure, I, I love this book, J.I. Packer, Knowing God. I read that book regularly. I read it, I read it over and over and over again. Uh, and, and a lot of what you see here came out of there. I, I just, full disclosure there. Um, but four characteristics of someone who truly understands what it means to know God and be known by God. Four characteristics. And I, and I pray that you'd ask yourself these hard questions. I, think, I pray that you, and I want to show you pictures in the Bible of where we see this. So that you'd be prepared for the fiery ordeal. That you'd have joy inexpressible. Is my joy rooted in the things of this world? Or are they rooted in, is it rooted in God? I think these questions are going to help you be honest. First characteristic is this. People who truly know God and enjoy being known by God have great energy for God. You'll notice in Daniel 11.32, but the people who know their God will what? Display strength and take action. It's interesting there, in some translations, the words display strength, it literally means stand firm. You know what the whole point of Peter First five, chapter 5, verse 12, the whole point of Peter is that you'd stand firm in the grace of God. Stand firm. Rejoice in suffering. And again, the actions here in verse 32 of the person who stands firm are total opposite of those that oppose God, meaning they don't stand firm and they don't take action. You see it on your handout. Those who know their God stand firm in the face of opposition no matter the cost. They stand firm. You waffle. You give in. You run to the other side. I'm telling you, I'm not saying you're not saved. That might be the case. I'm telling you at the very least, you don't really know God the way you think you know God. The one who knows God takes action for God. You think, about, you think about David and Goliath. That story in 1 Samuel 17 is abused and, and taken for all these little, these little morality stories and all these tidbits. What motivated David for action? Goliath was defiling the name of his God. He didn't do it for popularity. He didn't do it because he knew he'd win. Listen, he built his, he built his actions based on what God had told them. I will take care of the Philistines. If you go to that story, what made David angrier than anything is that they were sitting there allowing their God to be mocked and doing nothing about it. You know what it showed them? That they didn't really trust what God said. They didn't trust. I mean, one of my favorite, again, one of my favorite stories we've shared before, but favorite things, and, and I pray that this would be me. I don't know. I hope. Daniel 3, 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they won't bow down. And King Nebuchadnezzar, they say, look, who will, 
Nebuchadnezzar says this, what God, he says, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And he says, what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Listen to what they said. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They took action. They didn't have a guarantee that this was going to work out. Here's the deal. They knew their God, though. It's exactly what Peter's saying in chapter 4. No matter what happens to you on this, on this earth, Christian, it's going to work out just fine. It's Romans 8, 18. I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in you. They had a glory waiting on them that was far greater than the glory they would receive by bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar. Sooner they said, listen, I don't care what you do to us. They knew God. Part of what what caused David even, as I think about it, part of what caused David, if you recall in 1 Samuel 17, David says, you know what? I've seen God deliver me from the hand of the bear and the lion and all these other things. This Goliath, he will be just like them. That's knowing God. It wasn't, I promise to deliver you. David said, I've seen him. I've experienced that deliverance firsthand. Knowledge, intimacy. Experiential knowledge. Look, the deeper the knowledge, the deeper the energy. Whether it be prayer or whatever. The deeper the knowledge, the deeper the energy. A superficial knowledge, superficial energy. My question is, have you settled for a knowledge of God rather than knowing God and being known by God. Look at your energy level. Look at your enthusiasm level with regards to the things of God. Secondly, people who truly know God and enjoy being known by God have great thoughts for God. The book of Daniel, like none other, presents us with amazing, amazing thoughts of the sovereignty and the awesomeness of God over and over and over again. And you see it on your handout. In the face of an enemy in Babylon that dwarfed Israel, Daniel stood firm because he knew of God's awesomeness. You go to chapter 2, you go to chapter 4, you go to chapter 5, all over. Here's what Daniel is saying. I don't need to bow down to you. Why? Because I serve an awesome God. And in verse four, chapter 4, verse 25, this is, this is this, when, David, when Daniel read the thought of God, this is what came to his mind. Listen to this. He says that until, he says of Nebuchadnezzar, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whoever he wishes. You know what Daniel said? My God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. King Nebuchadnezzar, you don't do anything that he hasn't allowed you to do. You don't do anything that he hasn't given you an opportunity to do. He's king. You're not king. Awesomeness. Daniel knew. He knew the awesomeness of God. That nothing, nothing could thwart God. 
That's exactly what we see in 1 Peter 4.18. If it's with difficulty the righteous is saved, what will be become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Is he sovereign? Yes. Is he going to make it all worth our while? Yes. Whether you believe it or not, I pray that you'd believe it. Why would Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be unmoved? Why would David go fight somebody that he had no business fighting? He, they knew their God was big. When they thought of God, great thoughts came to their mind. I mean, I, th- I thought about Jeremiah verse 9. Listen, listen to this statement in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But listen to this. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. You think about that. God has given us the opportunity to boast that we know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. Think about that. He's given us that opportunity. And, and I hope you grabbed this handout. I worked on this this week. I, I alphabetized them to try to thank you to Melissa for trying to get it all on one page. And I, I thought about doing this with us, but I, we don't have time. We don't have time for anything, but we don't have time to do this. I thought about giving you a blank piece of paper and saying for the next five minutes, I want you to write down every single thought that comes to your mind about God. Just a test. I spent, I spent some days this week just searching the scriptures and writing down what the Bible says about our God. This isn't exhaustive. It's not inclusive. I think it'd be refreshing for our souls if we just worked through this list in your own quiet time. Praise God for how he's revealed himself. A to Z. This isn't even exhaustive. Listen, the point, I want you to see what an awesome God we serve. This is, knowing this God, this is what gives us joy inexpressible in trials. Not, not this puny little God who maybe or maybe not is faithful. No, a Lamentations 3.23 type of God that says, no, no, your faithfulness extends to all generations. And your faithfulness never ceases. I, I would pray that we, you know, having a small view of God doesn't, doesn't create in you what Habakkuk 3, 17 and 16 and following says, though the fig tree should not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vine, the grass on the field, none of this, yet I will exalt, yet I will exalt in the God of my salvation. I don't need fig trees. I don't need cattle in the stall. I don't need grass in the field. I know my God. But the question is, do we, do we know him? Or have we settled for a knowledge of him? Can we boast? Jeremiah 9, can we boast in how well we know God? 
I mean, Lee and I were talking about after the welcome. I love, I, I, I can tell, listen, reason why I, one of the many reasons, things I love about Lee is I can tell that guy, when he gets up here, I can tell he spends time in the Word every single week. You know, I can tell by the way he prays, by the big thoughts he has about God. He serves a big God. What, what does the world see in us? They ask you about your God. Can you tell them, that, can you tell them this? Well, uh, he's sovereign. He's good. He's love. I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm not trying to just simply saying, you know what, that's not, that's not impactful to a world around you. Let me show you how I've experienced him being loving in my life. Let me tell you how I've experienced him being sovereign in my life. Let me tell that's a knowledge of, I mean, that's a knowledge of, I mean, about. That's knowing God, not of him. Knowing him. Thirdly, there's great boldness for God. Move on before I offend everybody. Nobody be back. That's my, that's my goal, I told Karen. Give me time. Everybody just leaves eventually. Boldness. Again, why did Daniel and his buddies have such boldness? They weren't the only ones. They weren't the only ones there. Why them? Why they have boldness and nobody else didn't? Because they knew God. They've seen him. Why did Daniel run out there and face Goliath? Because he had seen God deliver him time and time and time and time again. Again, knowing he knew God. Why in Acts 5, why did the disciples, when they say, stop preaching the gospel or we're going to kill you, why did they say, we must obey God rather than men in spite of their backs and everything else being beaten to a pulp? Why? Because they feared God more than men. That's exactly what we saw in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. Why would they rejoice? It says they rejoiced even there exceedingly that they had the opportunity to suffer for the name of Christ. Why? Because they knew God. It was a joy. Was it easy? No. Was it joyful? It was. Because they trusted exactly what we see in 1 Peter, that in the end, God's going to weigh the scales. Not that you earn your way, but you're going to stand before God and give an account for how you stewarded your Christianity. And if you're not a Christian, you're going to stand before God and you're going to suffer the wrath of your sins. Bottom line. Either way, again, Christian, just because you're a believer doesn't mean you get to live however you want to live. You're going to stand before God and give an account at the Bema Seat Judgment of how you stewarded God's grace. What did you do with everything that God gave you? All of his promises. What did you do, believer, with them? Did you build your life upon them? That's what Peter is saying at the end. You're going to stand before God and give an account. Great boldness, but lastly, people who know God, enjoy God, have great contentment in God. You see that all over in 1 Peter. And the root, you see there in your handout, the root of what would drive a person to willingly and joyfully suffer for the glory of our great God is that they find their joy in Christ and in being saved, not their circumstances. They enjoy their God. 
Can that be said of you, that you enjoy being cared for by God? That you enjoy getting to know God? That you enjoy the privilege of calling Him your Father? And the peace that comes with that. Philippians 4, the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Romans 1, for now we have peace with God. Romans 8, 1, for now there is no condemnation from God. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. What is it? I'm just... Oh, the steadfast of mind. The, oh, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. The one who trusts in you. Oh, it's on the board. I guess I could have. Sorry. Sorry, Daniel. That's why I need to write this. <laughs> Sorry. When you serve an awesome God and when you know you serve an awesome God, there's peace. Why? It's what Paul said in Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's what he says in Romans 8, 7, that we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. That's what he says in Romans 8, 31, for if God is for us, who can truly be against us? He who did not spare his one and only son, but, but offered him up freely, how will he not with you also freely give us all things? Listen, if God was going to bail on you, he'd have bailed before Calvary. But do you know him this way? When you, when you realize the great God you serve, great contentment comes with that. Graham Scroggin, and I've said it before, but I love the quote. He is that peace whose God is sovereign. And if you go to Daniel, the thing that guided Daniel and his buddies was the sovereignty of God. So, okay, real quickly. You grade yourself, you test yourself, ask yourself some hard questions. How do, how do we get to know God better? You see it real quickly. Listening to God's word and receiving it. Instead of determining for ourselves what it says, allowing God's word to speak for itself, allowing the Holy Spirit to interpret it. But you've got to listen to it. Secondly, accepting God's nature and character as the word reveals it to be, instead of deciding for ourselves what God is like. Listen, for most of us, we have no concept of God that he would take his people author suffering for his people but that's that you've formed a god of your own making that's not what the word of god says thirdly obeying what god commands no matter what cost you're depriving yourself of intimacy and knowledge of god if you do not obey the word if you selectively obey the word you're depriving yourself of intimacy And lastly, rejoicing in the love that God has shown us. The way that we will not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that comes about for the testing of your faith, that the way that we'll be joyful to share the sufferings of Christ, to continue rejoicing, the way that we will not be ashamed and we will consider ourselves blessed if we are reviled for the name of our Lord, the way that we will, we will have joy everlasting even if we suffer for Him, the, the, all of that begins with knowing God. Not knowing about Him, not settling for what you know about Him, first-hand experience of Him. That's what our grow groups are about. That's what these Thursday night Bible studies are about. 
That, that's what home groups are about. All those things, ultimately, it's a, why do we call them grow groups? That you would grow in your knowledge of God and one another. Why? Because the greatest thing someone can say about you is what thoughts come to your mind when you think about God. Do you serve a big God or a small God? Do you know of Him or do you know about Him? 